Hello, and thank you for joining us today for Frost & Sullivan's latest webinar from our Emerging Market Innovation Practice. Today's event is titled 2018 Global Economic Outlook. My name is Anna, and I oversee Frost & Sullivan's Growth Innovation and Leadership Briefings. This presentation will be available immediately on demand. We encourage you to ask questions, and you can do that by clicking on the Ask a Question button. You can also safely share this webcast at any time by clicking on the Share button. On today's presentation, we will have some detailed slides, so there is a full screen feature available to you at the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. Our presenters today are part of our Emerging Market Innovation team, and we start off with uh, Prena Mohan. Associate Director. We also have Neha Anna Thomas, Senior Industry Analyst, and also Sabrina Shta, Research Analyst. And featuring our expert, uh, we have some commentary by Craig Parker, Research Director here at Frost & Sullivan. With that, I would now like to hand the presentation over to Prena. Please begin. Thank you, Anna. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone. Um, I'd like to start off the global economic outlook with a slide on the global growth outlook. Um, so 2017 has generally been an upbeat year for the global economy. Recovering from the slump of 2016, um, the global economy grew by an estimated 3.6% in 2017, uh, supported by the upswing in global trade, investment, and industrial production. Our growth in advanced economies was strongly driven by domestic demand, increased investment, and output growth. Emerging markets, however, continue to uh, witness strong capital inflows, which translated to increased industrial output. In 2018, we expect the growth momentum to continue. Um, the global economy is expected to expand by 3.7%, and overall improvement in business sentiment will drive global, global investment, while uh, private consumption demand is expected to remain robust. Moreover, uh, we believe that global trade recovery uh, will continue into 2018, and that seems to be a strong factor that will support economic growth. Emerging markets and other developing economies are forecast to grow by 4.9% in 2018 in comparison to 4.6% the year before, with large economies such as India, Brazil, and Kenya uh, forecast to register strong recovery in 2018. Uh, with respect to China, however, growth is expected to weaken in uh, the year ahead uh, with deepening structural reforms. Uh, we will cover this in detail in the Regional Economic Outlook section a little later. Um, the growth for advanced economies is projected to remain at 2.1% with growth supported by continued strengthening of domestic demand and an anticipated increase in investments. Major advanced economies, including the US, France, and Japan, are expected to witness higher growth in 2018 compared to last year. Um, slide, please. So let's turn our attention to um, world trade outlook and also understand the evolution and outlook for major trade deals. Um, supported by widespread global recovery, global trade expanded by 3.9% in 2017 in comparison to a slump in 2015 and 2016. 
Um, Asia's revival in trade was driven by strong demand and a rise in commodity prices with actual data for the first half of 2017, uh, pointing to an increase of 7.3% in exports and 8.9% in imports. The expected moderation of economic growth in China in 2018 and its gradual shift um, from a manufacturing to a services-based economy stands to lower commodity import demand in 2018 and further down the line. On another note, um, expected interest rate hikes in the U.S. and the phasing out of quantitative easing in the euro area could result in the appreciation of the U.S. dollar and the euro, which will potentially put pressure on the exports of the U.S. and the euro area. However, um, you know, despite these risks in 2018, we expect total trade flows to register a growth of 4% driven by healthy growth in consumption demand, resultant of broad-based economic growth and favorable labor market conditions. A strengthening commodity prices and higher manufacturing output will also facilitate trade growth. Um, we're also seeing a lot of developments in regard to major trade deals that stand to influence the future of global trade. So as you may be aware, uh, the NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, which has been in effect since 1994, is now being renegotiated amongst uh, the member countries, U.S., Mexico, and Canada. And negotiations have already been extended once until Q1 of 2018, and further extension um, or U.S. withdrawal from NAFTA would negatively affect growth from, I mean, of the other member countries. After achieving significant progress in Phase 1 of uh, the Brexit negotiations, Phase 2 is expected to begin with these negotiations um, to be centered around issues of trade and transition. There's still a possibility, however, of the UK leaving the EU single market and customs union. Given this possibility, the UK, from the very beginning of Phase 2 negotiations, will look to limit the impact of Brexit on UK trade. Um, we can actually expect the UK to start the daunting task of pursuing bilateral or even multilateral trade deals globally. Um, these deals, however, can only be implemented post the exit from the EU. So the UK will definitely have an upper hand with countries where its own imports exceeds exports. But it won't have much leverage in dealing with key export destinations such as France and Ireland where the trade balance is skewed in favor of the UK. Um, moving towards the TPP agreement, as you know, the U.S. withdrew from the trade deal in early 2017, following almost five years of negotiation between the member countries. Um, in the absence of the U.S., however, we see that other countries are following through with the trade deal, uh, now known as the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. Looking ahead, uh, finalization of the CPTPP also known uh, as, as well as the RCEP, or the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, would only further bolster China's trade dominance over the U.S. Uh, moving over to Africa, um, countries in this region are also making progress in initiating a regional trade agreement. Uh, the, re the final agreement for the Continental Free Trade Agreement, or the CFTA as it's better known, uh, has been drafted and will be discussed in the African Union Summit scheduled for March 2018. CFTA builds on the current tripartite free trade agreement covering the common market for Eastern and Southern Africa, Eastern African community, and the Southern African community. Uh, this will be one of the largest regional trade agreements 
covering a market of 54 countries with a combined GDP of $2.2 trillion and encompassing 1.2 billion individuals. Um, CFTA is also expected to boost intra-Africa trade and provide an opportunity for African countries to diversify their export base and reduce reliance on the export of minerals, oil, and agricultural produce. Next slide, please. All right, so uh, let's now look at the evolution of oil production and prices in the light of production cuts announced by the OPEC and its allies. Um, in November 2016, OPEC countries had agreed to reduce crude oil production by 1164,000 barrels per day, uh, effective from January 1st, 2017, for a period of about six months, um, with individual targets laid out for OPEC member countries. Similarly, in December, um, non-OPEC allies also agreed to production cuts, with the group as a whole agreeing to cut production by 558,000 um, barrels per day for a period of six months, again effective from Jan 1, 2017. Um, Non-OPEC allies, however, don't have country-specific targets. Um, OPEC and its allies then agreed to extend the effective period of production cuts till March 2018, uh, just and just in November 2017, the countries agreed to again extend the effective period for production cuts until the end of 2018. Um, the table to the left-hand side of this chart reveals the agreed production adjustment levels for individual OPEC countries and shows the actual adjustment levels as of November 2017. And as we can see, a lot of countries have actually met their targets, including countries uh, such as Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and Venezuela. Um, data reveals that non-OPEC compliance is also fairly high in 2017. Um, looking ahead, given that effective period for production cuts has been extended until 2018 end, OPEC countries that have not met targets could be expected to make production cuts. Um, OPEC countries that have attained targets could keep production steady or increase production while remaining below the agreed production level, or perhaps even continue to cut back on production levels in order to influence global oil prices. Now looking at the oil price trajectory, we see that driven by production cuts in 2017, um, the decision to extend the effective period for production cuts and strong demand, Brent crude oil prices averaged at 542 dollars uh, per barrel in 2017 in comparison to $43.5 a barrel in 2016. Looking forward um, into 2018, we do expect the prices to rise to an average of uh, about $59 per barrel, supported by production cuts and strong demand, with rising U.S. shale production especially thwarting a higher increase in oil prices. So that's about it on the introduction, and I would now like to hand it back to Anna. Thank you, Prana. Yes, uh, we are going to have our poll question, which is, what do you think is the 2018 GDP growth outlook for the U.S.? Is it acceleration in GDP growth, deceleration in GDP growth, or constant GDP growth? And at this time, I'd like to invite uh, Neha Anna Thomas, our Senior Research Analyst, to uh, go through our 2018 Regional Economic Outlook, followed by Sabrina. Go ahead, Neha. Thank you, Anna. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. So, this is, we 
2018. So if you look at the chart on this particular slide, Anna, if we could move to the GDP growth outlook slide, please. So if you look at this chart, you will see that uh, the U.S. grew by an estimated 2.1% in 2017 in comparison to 1.5% in 2016, with higher growth being driven by factors such as strong consumer spending and business investment, you know, despite the incidence of hurricanes. Looking ahead to 2018, we expect con the country's growth to further accelerate, as mentioned, to 2.3% especially as a result of tax reforms. As you would know, there has been a significant federal corporate tax rate cut, and this is expected to be a key growth driver. And we're already seeing signs of how companies are passing on the benefits of these tax cuts to its workers in the form of wage increases or higher bonuses. In regards to restraints to the U.S. economy, higher anticipated interest rate hikes are expected to be a key restraint. Now, as we all know, there is quite a bit of volatility in the stock market that is happening right now. But looking at the data itself, macroeconomic fundamentals are quite strong in terms of wage growth and unemployment and uh, GDP growth. Now, moving on to Canada, what we see is that from 1.5% GDP growth in 2016, growth rose to an estimated 3% in 2017, especially supported by higher oil prices and expansionary fiscal as well as monetary policies, with the interest rates actually being raised only in the second half of the year. Now, looking at this current year, 2018, however, growth is expected to slow down to 2.2% amidst further interest rate hikes as well as an expected slowdown in the housing sector. Now, GDP growth across both the U.S. and Canada is expected to be lower than projected on this slide should NAFTA renegotiation talks extend beyond the first quarter of 2018 or U.S. withdraw from NAFTA. If we could move to the next slide that examines the key economic developments for these two countries. Let's start with Canada's housing sector. The Canadian economy is really quite dependent on the housing sector, and there seems to be a price bubble with home prices having soared in the past decade. In 2000 itself, we saw some slowdown in the housing sector as a result of factors such as interest rate hikes and higher taxes on foreign buyers. And we expect to see a more pronounced slowdown in 2018, especially as a result of an introduction of tougher mortgage financing conditions. This took place at the start of this year, that's January 2018. Moreover, anticipated interest rate hikes could also be a restraint to the housing market. Now, if we look at the monetary policy for the U.S. and Canada, we would know that the tighter policy is being adopted across both the countries. In Canada, for instance, there were two rate cuts in 2015, whereas the key interest rate was cut was hiked twice in 2017, sorry, and again in January, just in January 2018. And we expect to see further hikes again in 2018. Looking at the U.S., the key interest rate has been hiked thrice in 2017, and for this year, three or more rate hikes are expected. Rising interest rates would, of course, act as a restraint to economic growth across the two economies. Moving to the topic of U.S. tax reforms, the tax reform bill was signed into law by the end of last year, as you would know, with reforms including cuts to the federal corporate income tax rate from 35% to 21%, 
as well as modified individual income tax brackets and lower tax rates, to name some of the changes. Now, these reforms should lead to higher growth in 2018 and for most of this decade, although because of the temporary nature of some of the provisions, it would limit higher growth towards the end of the decade. In terms of revenues, the reforms are expected to lead to an overall reduction in government's revenues over the next decade. I would now request Sabrina to present a summary of the Latin American outlook. Uh, thank you, Neha, for that update on North America. Uh, now I'll be starting off with uh, the outlook for Latin America. So 2017 was a very good year for the region as a whole. It uh, finally came out of recession and entered a phase of strong recovery. This is basically supported by the strengthening of commodity prices, which improved trade flow in the region. Also, business confidence in the region started recovering, and it also witnessed a firm domestic demand, which basically pushed the economy forward. Uh, we expect this growth momentum to continue into 2018. Now, coming down to the individual countries, uh, if you look at the graph there, uh, Brazil made a strong recovery from the contraction of 3.8% in 2016 to an expansion of 0.7% in 2017. What worked for the country in 2017 was a strong growth in agriculture sector, a pickup in household consumption, improved business sentiment, and the subsequent increase in private investment. Also during this period, inflation also reached a manageable level of 2.8%. So in 2018, we expect borrowing costs to go down, which will actually encourage increased investment in the economy. This should support a further stronger recovery in 2018. Now if you look at Mexico, growth actually declined from 2.3% in 2016 to 2.2% in 2017. This was mainly due to the disruptions caused by earthquakes and hurricanes. Natural calamities took a toll on the economy in 2017, and this remains a potential risk going into 2018. Moreover, the lingering uncertainty around NAFTA negotiations that we covered earlier, and the impact that could potentially be there for Mexico's trade will put further, will restrict the economic growth of Mexico in 2018, which is projected at 2%. Uh, businesses will exercise caution given the political uncertainty around the presidential election scheduled for 2018. Moving on to Colombia now, where growth slowed to 1.8% in 2017. The key factor contributing to the slowdown was the slump in domestic demand and fall in private investment. However, in 2018, we see the situation improving in the country. Uh, the peace deal side between the government and the revolutionary armed forces of Colombia is expected to improve the country's political and security situation and this should potentially attract higher FDI in the economy. In 2018, growth is estimated at 2.8%, mainly supported by an increase in private consumption, higher government spending, and increase in private investment as well. Now moving on to the fastest growing economy in the region, Panama, which registered 5.5% growth in 2017. The economy is expected to grow at an even faster pace of 5.8% in 2018. High level of government infrastructure spending, a booming construction industry, and an expanding mining and sector continues to push the country's growth. Moreover, the expanded Panama Canal, which came into operation in the mid-2016, continues to reap benefits for the economy, as trade volume is increasing and government revenue from the canal is also increased. This provides support for the country's current high growth momentum. Can you move to the next slide, please? So in terms of key economic development in Latin America, 
The decision of Panama to cut ties with Taiwan is indicative of the country and the region opening up to China. Panama and China is also expected to start negotiations on a free trade deal agreement in June 2018. But irrespective of when the trade deal actually gets finalized, we can expect increased Chinese investment in Panama's key, key infrastructures. Uh, following this model, more Latin American countries are also expected to enter into bilateral or trilateral trade deals with China as countries are increasingly seeking to diversify their trade base. Talking about diversifying export markets, the Latin America trading bloc Pacific Alliance itself is looking to diversify its market away from the U.S. The alliance is in the process of confirming four new countries, Australia, Canada, New Zealand and Singapore as associate members. Among these countries, New Zealand could potentially be the first country to sign a trade deal with Pacific Alliance. So what is actually pushing the current momentum around Pacific Alliance? So basically the withdrawal of the United States from TPP and the threat lingering around Mexico's trade with the United States is actually pushing the Pacific Alliance to seek separate trade deals with key global economies including India and China. We can expect Pacific Alliance to potentially receive larger attention globally amongst countries seeking access to the Latin American market. Can we have the next slide, please? So now moving on to Africa. Uh, Africa if you look at the graph, there are a very interesting graph that represents a highly uneven pace of economic growth in the region. As visible there, uh, Tanzania is among the top performers in Africa and, and is expected to continue to retain this position through 2018. Growth contracted slightly into 6.7% in 2017. This was mainly due to the uncertainty around government policies which eroded business confidence. In 2018, we expect a further increase in government spending on infrastructure. This will provide a necessary boost to the economy. In terms of the country's key strength, its large consumer base will continue to drive consumption demand in the economy. Looking at Kenya now, another key economy of Africa, the country's growth was restrained by the prolonged presidential election which was held in August 2017, but again reruns were held in October, pushing the country into political turmoil throughout 2017. In the year ahead, we expect the situation to improve in Kenya, as the agricultural sector which was hit by a drought in 2017 is also expected to make a recovery in 2018. This should increase the export of coffee and tea specifically which will support the economy's growth, estimated at 5.7% in 2018. Uh, moving to South Africa now, which is one of the largest economies in Africa, the country continues to struggle with slow-paced growth. In 2017, the country grew slightly faster than 2016 on the back of strong growth in agriculture sector, mining and manufacturing sector. In November 2017, however, South Africa's bond was downgraded to junk level by a number of global rating agencies. So now this will increase the cost of borrowing and will potentially worsen the country's debt situation. So in 2018, resulting of this, we can expect the country to adopt a number of measures to cut its spending, which can potentially entail an increase in taxes. On the positive side, however, the expected change of leadership with the election of Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa as the President of American African National Congress has improved business sentiment in the region. In addition to this, the expected increase in commodity prices will also support a growth of 1.1% in 2018. In Zimbabwe, if you look at the graph, the volatile growth trajectory continues. In 2017, favorable climatic conditions resulted in a strong growth in agriculture sector, whereby the country registered a strong growth of 2.8%. 
However, it is unlikely to be replicated in 2018 as the country tackles failing exports and a large fiscal deficit, which will lead to a severe liquidity shortage. The replacement of long-time President Robert Mugabe by President Emerson Nangwagwa is expected to be followed by business-friendly policies. This should start reflecting its impact in the medium run. Business sentiment is also expected to start improving, reflecting good growth potential in the medium term. Uh, now moving to the key economic development in Africa. Africa as a region is making strides towards improving the overall trade scenario in the region. As Bernard highlighted earlier, uh, the TFTA, which includes 26 member countries across COMESA, EAC, and SADC, was negotiated in June 2015, but three annexes had prolonged the negotiation process. Now that the deal has been finalized, and if the agreement gets ratified by all member countries, the resultant economies of scale will potentially attract larger investment and boost the region's competitiveness. Now, building on to the TFTA, African countries are also pushing this CFTA, also known as Continental Free Trade Agreement. This will be one of the largest regional trade agreements and will potentially result in favorable trade policy at country level and overall improvement in trade flow of goods and services. This will position the regional bloc as one of the largest players in global trade. Even smaller African countries can benefit and push for even economic growth in the region through their access to a large integrated market. So a lot of movement is happening in Africa as the region attempts to strengthen its position in global trade. In the medium term, if these trade deals are realized, the region stands to gain from increased trade. Uh, now let's delve into what's happening in Europe. As a region, economies uh, are recovering, but at a slower pace. Uh, this growth is supported by recovery in trade, increased investment, and strong consumption demand. If you look at Germany there, the economy registered a strong growth of 2.2% in 2017. This was mainly supported by the overall recovery of trade in the euro area and the resultant increase in Germany's export. A healthy domestic demand situation also supported the higher growth. In 2018, however, we expect the euro to appreciate. This will potentially strain exports and dampen domestic demand. On the political front, the unexpected failure of Angela Merkel to form a coalition government has pushed the country into political uncertainty. This will definitely strain the country's economic growth projected at 1.9% in 2018. Moving to Italy, uh, the country made a strong recovery at 1.5% growth in 2017. The economy witnessed a significant increase in industrial output. Even the struggling financial sector made good improvements. Uh, private consumption with this strong growth and overall exports also increased. This supported the economic recovery in 2017. In 2018, however, we expect growth to be slightly slower at 1.3%. Uh, this is mainly because Italy continues to struggle with uh, high debt, which stood at 133.3% of GDP in 2017. Things could potentially get worse if the European Central Bank hikes its interest rate, which will further raise the country's debt obligation. Uh, moreover, on the political front also, the uncertainty around the general election schedule for March 2018, which is unlikely to result in an absolute majority, will again restrain growth in 2018. Uh, <coughs> talking about the United Kingdom, uh, it continues to register slow growth. Despite a surge in exports driven mainly by a weaker pound sterling, UK registered a slower growth of 1.6% in 2017. 
In addition to the uncertainty around Brexit, the continued fall in productivity, slowdown in business investment, and the anticipated cuts in public spending will further dampen economic growth in 2018. Now coming to France, things look much brighter here. France continues on its recovery phase with GDP growth of 1.7% in 2017. The country is also witnessing growth in industrial production. The tourism sector is rebounding and investment flow has increased. The government is implementing policy reforms including cuts in business taxes, capital income taxes and changes in labor law. This will improve France's business environment and stimulate economic activity, pushing the economy further forward in its current growth momentum. Now moving on to the key economic development uh, in Europe, it definitely warrants a discussion on uh, Brexit. Uh, as discussed earlier, the negotiations finally made progress in December 2017 as the European Commission recommended sufficient progress in phase one of the exit negotiations. So under this, UK has basically agreed on three key terms. The first one being that EU citizens residing in the UK before the finalization of Brexit in 2019 can claim permanent residence in the UK and if eligible, they can also claim benefits under the UK's welfare system. The other term that both parties have agreed on is that there won't be a hard border between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. And finally, the UK has also agreed to continue to contribute to the EU budget of 2019 and 2020. UK will also be paying an estimated 47 to 52 billion dollars to cover its financial obligations to EU. Now that the phase one is over, negotiations on phase two will be pursued. This will be a crucial negotiation as it tackles issues around trade and transition. We expect businesses to still exercise caution until the terms of trade and terms around UK's access to EU's single market and customs union is finalized. The other risk lingering in the region is the political uncertainty in Germany, which stands to threaten the progress of EU policy decisions, especially Brexit negotiations, as Germany, which is a key influencer in EU decision, will prioritize resolving its own political issues. The plan to form a three-party coalition government failed, mainly due to the disagreement on issues of immigration and environment. Although such negotiations are happening at the moment, uh, we can only expect a new co coalition government in mid-2018. Moving on to the European Commission now. Uh, the ECS floated the plan to establish a legal framework for screening of the inflow of FDI in the region. This will specifically target areas of strategic importance for the region and those that pose security risk. However, member countries are already voicing their reservations. Uh, countries like Finland, Greece and Portugal have already voiced their reservation that this will potentially restrict the flow of FDI in their countries. The screening will also impact fresh acquisition in industries including communication, data storage, energy, transport infrastructure, artificial intelligence and robotics. This is likely to trigger conflict among member countries and can potentially further weaken the EU. Now I'd like to request Neha to continue with the economic outlook of Middle East. Uh, thank you, Sabrina. So let's look at the GDP growth outlook for countries in the Middle East. Uh, so let's start with the UAE. As you can see from the chart on the left-hand slide, growth actually contracted in 2017, chiefly because of oil production cuts. Now the country had met about over 90% of its oil production adjustment target as of November 2017. 
So we don't expect deep production cuts in 2018. In regards to the 2018 growth outlook for the country, GDP is expected to remain at 1.3%. There is, however, a risk that Qatar could, you know, block natural gas exports to the UAE in re retaliation for the ongoing blockade. Consequently, UAE's growth would be much lesser in 2018, should this happen. Now, moving on to Saudi Arabia, the economy contracted in 2017, largely as a result of oil production cuts, of course, as well as austerity measures imposed by the government. Again, Saudi Arabia, in fact, exceeded its oil production adjustment targets in 2017, so deep cuts aren't expected in 2018. Moreover, non-oil growth in the Saudi Arabia is also expected to be higher. So what we expect to see in 2018 is that growth is expected to climb from 0. Point, expected to climb sorry to 0.9%. So it's expected to turn positive from negative 0.4% in 2017. Now moving on over to Qatar, the economy managed to maintain growth despite the economic blockade owing to unaffected natural gas exports, trade with alternative partners and so on. Oil production cuts, of course, were a restraint to growth. Now, looking at 2018, GDP growth is expected to remain at this 2% level. A protracted blockade, however, would pull down Qatar's medium-term growth, not its 2018 growth. Moving over to Iran, the country grew by 12.5% in 2016-17, chiefly owing to higher oil production and sales following the lifting of nuclear-related sanctions. With growth also being higher on account of methodological method changes in GDP calculation, growth is expected to dip to 3.5% in 2017-18. However, amidst slower oil production growth and widespread protests, let's move to the next slide that covers the key economic developments. Of course, the first, as you would all know. A share of Saudi Arabia's national oil company or Saudi Aramco is expected to be sold. More specifically, up to 5% is expected to be sold in the second half of 2018 through an IPO. And these sale proceeds are expected to help support the country's diversification efforts. Now looking more closely at the blockade against Qatar, as we know, it was initiated in June of last year. And as explained in the earlier slide, Qatar has managed to maintain growth despite the blockade because of countries such as Turkey and Morocco stepping in to meet Qatar's import requirements. Moreover, the country also ate into a large share of its vast financial reserves to keep the economy afloat. As mentioned, 2018 growth of the country is not expected to be majorly affected by the blockade, but a protracted growth would affect both Qatar's as well as GCC's medium-term growth. Now, amidst the economic diversification efforts of the GCC countries, we see that Saudi Arabia and the UAE introduced a value-added tax of VAT in January 2018, with a 5% VAT being levied on most goods and services. Other GCC countries are expected to only do so or introduce a VAT by 2019. Now, the impact of VAT on inflation in Saudi and UAE is, is expected to be limited given the low standard VAT rate as well as the application of a zero rate on some outgoings. Most importantly, however, VAT will help boost government revenues and reduce 
dependence on oil and gas revenues. Now moving over to the economic outlook for Asia-Pacific, if we can move to the GDP growth slide. Let's first turn our attention to two emerging market giants, namely India and China. China's growth, as you can see, picked up to an estimated 6.8% in 2017, despite reforms to contain debt and property market risks. With this growth being supported by factors such as improved export demand and infrastructure spending. Amidst the deepening of these structural reforms in 2018, however, we expect China's growth to marginally slip to 6.6%. We'll delve deeper into these reforms in the next slide. Now looking at India, 2016-17 growth was affected by the government's demonetization initiative with sustained disruptions tied to this initiative affecting 2017-18 economic activity as well. Moreover, the country also rolled out a goods and services tax or a landmark GST tax reform in July 2017 with disruptions tied to this new tax regime affecting growth. As a result, the country is only expected to register about 6.7% growth in 2017-18. Nonetheless, in the next year, that is in 2018-19, growth is expected to recover to 7.4%, with the effect of these disruptions fading away and with growth being driven by factors such as strong private consumption, public investment, and structural reforms. Moving over to China, growth picked up to an estimated 1.5% in 2017, supported by fiscal stimulus and strong external demand growth is again expected to rise to 1.7% in 2018, supported by a planned record budget, a tax reform package, as well as a supplementary budget that's been planned for this fiscal, fiscal 2017. Inflation in the country, however, is expected to continue to remain below, much below the central bank's target, in fact. In, rega in regards to ASEAN 5, that includes Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, Thailand, and Vietnam, Growth is expected to remain at a robust 5.2% in 2018. Let's move over to key economic developments in China and India in the next slide. Looking more closely at Chinese structural reforms in 2018, the reforms are expected to be focused on financial market controls, pollution control, real estate regulation, as well as the reform of state-owned enterprises. Looking at the real estate sector, for instance, we see that the sector is characterized by bubbles and price fluctuations, with regulatory clampdowns often adopted to correct this, as opposed to a long-term mechanism. Now, these real estate reforms for 2018 are expected to focus on developing such much-needed long-term mechanisms, as well as the provision of housing supply through various sources and so on. Now, while these structural reforms will bite into the country's growth in 2018, they will help put the country on a more stable growth path. Moving over to explore India's landmark tax reform in detail, that is the GST tax rollout. The GST, in effect, replaces a myriad of central and state indirect taxes, with this particular GST tax being levied at each stage of the production cycle. As mentioned, disruptions tied to the introduction of the tax did slow economic activity initially, 
Looking ahead, however, this reform is expected to drive higher growth in the country. Moreover, very importantly, the GST should also help in the formalization of India's informal sector, given that firms up the value chain may not choose to do business with informal firms, as the former will not receive tax input credits in this case. Consequently, formalization should lead to greater tax compliance for both direct as well as indirect taxes. As a result of a wider tax base and higher compliance, government revenues should also rise in the medium term. With that, we come to the conclusion of our regional outlook section. Let's now look at Frost & Sullivan's 2018 emerging market list. We could move to the next slide, which details the methodology for formulating Frost & Sullivan's 2018 emerging market picks. So as we know, following the fall of the BRICS, there's been an ever-changing definition of emerging market, emerging market hotspots. And what Frost & Sullivan has done is developed a 2018 list to help companies identify the most favorable emerging markets and retool business strategies accordingly. For this particular purpose, we have assessed emerging markets across several pillars, such as economy, demo demography, and so on, as you can see from this slide. To begin with, 60 emerging markets were selected from across the globe based on criteria pertaining to GDP size, population size, as well as GDP per capita. Needless to say, this particular list only pertains to emerging market countries, and hence developed regions like North America and Europe weren't considered. These 60 countries were then assessed on 30 indicators across six pillars with composite index scores calculated for each country based on the weighted averages of the pillar scores. Subsequently, based on the composite index scores, the 60 countries were ranked and categorized under three groups, namely front runners, transforming markets, and fledgling markets, with front runners having the highest composite index scores. Let's now take a look at the results on the next slide. So this slide displays the list of the 10 countries having the highest score under each category that we earlier mentioned. So front runners are the emerging markets that have the highest scores, and we see that countries such as China and India feature here. Poland has also made it to the list with a country boasting of minimal exchange range volatility and regional wage competitiveness. Chile has also made it to the list despite being a small country, with the country having a strong innovation ecosystem, a wide pool of skilled human resources, and a high score in regards to investment attractiveness. It has in fact been one of the fastest growing economies in the Latin American region in the past decade. So these frontrunner countries are the ones that should ideally be assessed during business development and planning activities. Transforming countries, on the other hand, are at an early stage of economic development with scope for investment in the longer term. Fledgling markets now would probably be out of an investor's radar owing to factors such as low economic prospects and political instability. With that, we come to the conclusion of the emerging market list. I now request Craig to take us through the key takeaways for this session. Thank you very much, Naya. That was very insightful. 
Uh, if we uh, look at R&D and knowledge generation, we actually see a significant shift to these front-runner countries. So that's that's uh, <clears throat> quite interesting for investment moving forward in the long term. Uh, today, I'd like to take us briefly through some of the key takeaways from the presentation and give our insight to the top economic predictions for 2018. With regard to the global economy, we see world GDP growth to accelerate from 3.6% in 2017 to 3.7% in 2018. Uh, emerging market and developing economies are expected to see an acceleration in growth in 2018 by 0.3 points, while growth across advanced economies expect to remain at 2.1%. Uh, the prospects regarding global economic activity in 2018 are definitely looking brighter. When we look at the world's two largest economies, we anticipate an uptick in activity in one and a slowdown in the other. Now, the cut in the federal corporate tax rate in the United States from 35 to 21 percent should drive higher growth, as we've heard, and it has already impacted positively on business and will spill over into consumption spending with uh, already evidence being seen of employee earnings increasing due to the lower tax rates. Uh, this will also impact industry competitiveness and could positively um, you know, impact as the U.S. combined its corporate tax rate, uh, which was previously among the highest uh, globally. Now, turning to China, on the other hand, um, it's expected to see a growth slowdown, uh, with the economy settling at 6.6% growth for the year, and as we've heard, that's due to deepening structural reforms. Uh, turning to another emerging giant, India, uh, one which cannot be ignored, uh, we do expect it to show strong acceleration in 2018 uh, and into 2019, uh, with growth that has actually moved up from 6.7% in 2017 uh, to a projected 7.4% in 2018. Now, very importantly, uh, we turn to the commodity market, which has a great influence on, on the economy, especially for emerging markets. We see that a slight increase in the oil price is, is expected in 2018. Um, this is expected on account of the extension of production cuts by OPEC, uh, as we've heard, and its allies, as well as stronger demand. Uh, however, we do have to keep an eye on the potential of rising U.S. oil production, which could disrupt a major recovery in oil prices in 2018. Now, if we take these factors into account, we expect average Brent crude oil prices to rise from just over $54 a barrel from last year to about $59 a barrel this year in 2018. Uh, obviously, we must note that a lot of change could follow uh, the review meeting of OPEC and non-OPEC allies in June 2018, uh, where these countries could actually choose to take on a different strategy and not extend uh, production cuts. Now, this is particularly important to the short-term development of oil-dependent countries, uh, for instance, like Nigeria. And uh, the lack of oil revenue exports has actually led to a significant forest crisis, uh, forest crisis in, these, in these countries, where local businesses cannot pay the dollars necessary for the imports of, of goods or services. And that's why I say the, the commodity prices and the oil prices are extremely uh, important to the future of uh, developing economies in the next two years. Now, if we remain with the topic of oil, we also see that the GCC countries are increasingly trying to diversify the economies through the expansion of sectors such as tourism, uh, logistics, and food production. Uh, the introduction of VAT in Saudi Arabia and the UAE at the start of this year is also clearly a landmark uh, reform, as we've heard, and the introduction is helping to ease government dependence on oil and gas revenues. 
Now, if you look more closely at Saudi Arabia, obviously we've heard the, the very interesting development, and all eyes are clearly turned towards the upcoming IPO of the National Oil Company, uh, where up to 5% of Saudi Aramco is expected to be sold in the second half of 2018, and the proceeds of the sale is expected to play a pivotal role in the acceleration of the country's economic diversification efforts. Uh, Saudi Arabia is stepping up plans to diversify its economy away from oil under an economic transformation plan known as Vision 2030. And the kingdom aims to transfer ownership of Aramco to the kingdom's public investment fund. Uh, thank you. I'd now like to hand back to Anna to provide us uh, more information about today's webinar. Thank you so much, Craig. Now, please note that a detailed report on the 2018 Global Economic Outlook will be available for use. If you're interested in receiving a copy of this report, please note the contact details that will be displayed shortly. We also invite you uh, to uh, engage in a free growth strategy dialogue with one of our experts. For more information, uh, the contact details will be provided on your screen. And uh, the contact is Vig Nish, a key account manager for the Emerging Market Innovation. Uh, you can uh, contact him if you want to engage in a growth strategy dialogue or receive a copy of the 2018 Global Economic Outlook Report, or if you have any questions regarding today's webinar. This concludes today's webinar. Thank you very much.